Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author and journalist Reed Forgrave. His new book is Love, Zach, Small Town Football and the Life and Death of an American Boy. In December 2015, Zach Easter, a 24-year-old from small town Iowa, decided to take his own life rather than continue his losing battle against the traumatic brain injuries he had suffered as a no-holds-barred high school football player. For this deeply reported and powerfully moving true story, Reed Forgrave was given access to Zach's own diaries and was able to speak with Zach's family, friends, and coaches. He explores Zach's tight-knit football-obsessed Midwestern community. He interviews leading brain scientists, psychologists, and sports historians, and he takes a deep dive into the triumphs and sins of the sports entertainment industry. Uh, Reed Forgrave has covered the NFL and college football for foxsportsnews.com, foxsports.com, and CBS Sports, and has been featured in GQ, the New York Times Magazine, and Mother Jones. Welcome to the show, Reed. Nice to have you here. Hey, Catherine, thank you so much for having me, and uh, we're talking about a, a topic that's, I think, uncomfortable for a lot of Americans, but uh, but really important, you know? Yeah, that was my first question. It is important. I have to say, I've never, I'm not a big football fan, but I, reading your book, I mean, I, I just, it sort of really uh, oh, it compelled me to want to know more about it, obviously, and here you are on the show. I guess my question is, well, it is important. What's unique about Zach's story? I mean, it's he. What? Why did you choose to write about Zach in particular, friends? Yeah, I, I think there there are a couple things. Uh, one is that you know he died so young. Uh, we hear when we hear of you know ex football players dying of CTE, we think of people like Junior Seau, who played two decades in the NFL and was a Hall of Famer and. Uh, we think of people like Mike Webster for the Pittsburgh Steelers, another Hall of Famer, a guy who was just, you know, played game after game after game at the highest of levels and just bashed his head in. We don't think of 24-year-olds who played football from third grade through the end of high school uh, coming down with this, this disease, having issues like memory issues and dementia and migraines and what's that called, brain tremors, blurred vision, all this stuff in a 24-year-old. Um, but really the reason that I think Zach stands out beyond that is because so much of the story is, is told in his own words. He left behind uh, a whole bunch of writings, uh, sort of a daily journal that was documenting his decline. He wrote a you know, 39-page mini autobiography of sorts uh, that documented his whole history in football. And then his, uh, his girlfriend uh, gave me just a boatload of, of text messages from Zach's uh, final five or six weeks uh, on Earth. And what's powerful about this is that you get the sense that Zach is sort of speaking to you from beyond the grave. It is, in, in one sense, it's a cautionary tale. Um, but in another sense, it's also recognizing that football has always been a sport of risks and rewards. Uh, that's And when you talk about football. Uh, football, risk and rewards, I think that's one of the things that I really liked about the book as well, because you really gave mm-hmm. the history of football and how it is part of our culture and how it fits into our culture, and it, which the book really starts off with that. So let's talk, and I want to just CTE, for those who don't know what CTE is, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, uh, which is what... Perfect. Uh, well, well pronounced. 
How's that? <laughs> well pronounced, uh, perfect. <laughs> yes, but we'll call it CTE, and uh, that's what Zach suffered from. But going back, let's talk about football and where before we get into to Zach and, and, and what happened to him in the history and the interviews that you had and also, as you say, his writings. But when did football start? When did we start playing football here in the United States? Yeah, so football came about uh, just after the Civil War. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the rise of football over the past 150 years has somewhat mirrored America's rise as a, you know, global economic and military superpower. Um, the first football game was played in 1869. It was sort of a derivative of, of soccer, and uh, which, which then in, in England became rugby, and then America turned it into a more regimented, uh, structured version of rugby, which we know as American football. And if you think football is violent now, you should have seen football in the 1890s and the early 1900s. Uh, I believe it was 1905 when three dozen players died on the field or shortly after. And I'm not talking died 10 years later. I'm talking died as a direct result from injuries playing football. This was such a, this was becoming America's uh, favorite sport. And it was such a crisis for this sport that President Teddy Roosevelt convened college presidents. At that time, it was a sport that was primarily played in colleges and he said, you need to clean up this sport, convene them for a summit at the White House. And uh, the reason that he was so intent on this is because he thought football helped create the, the, the stereotypical, the prototypical American man. He believed in, like, toughness, physical toughness was such a great trait that, that it needed to be instilled in the American psyche. That, right, so uh, football was the sign the of, of manhood, uh, being a gladiator, I exactly. guess, right? It, yeah, I think one of exactly. the other things that I mean, you, I was, I think you just met, you said 1905, I think the turn of the century, that women, and I want mm-hmm. you to talk about this, because that women were starting to sort of come out on their own, and there were more women professionals, and the, the suffrage movement, and so football and men was sort of juxtaposed with that, that if we want to be a real man because we were being sissified, you know, women are becoming more like men, we've got to play football that really talks about who we are. That was part of it, wasn't it, in terms of like maybe politically and culturally, socially? Yeah, so I mean, in the decades after the Civil War, uh, America is industrializing. We're moving off the farm and toward the cities. And there's, you know, people are working less with their hands. Uh, there are, you're not going to fight a war as much to, to prove your manhood. Uh, and you're going into the cities and women are becoming, uh, you know, they're, they're, it was almost seen as this like crisis of masculinity. So football was seen as sort of a proving ground where you could sort of retain that sort of masculinity. And that I think is why, especially the earliest versions of football was, were, were such a hyper violent sport. And it's not like, it's not like violence is a bug of football. It's a feature of football, something that we love about football. When we talk about today, uh, when we're reforming football, we do wonder, like, uh, how much of that can you take out of, in the name of safety and still uh, retain the sport that we love? But, yeah, this was absolutely a reaction to all these forces that were seen as a you know, sort of a threat to this traditional version of American masculinity. 
And football then began to replace baseball, which was, as you say in the book, I guess a, an afternoon pastime with your dad or your grandfather maybe, but it didn't have the excitement and the proof of manhood that, that baseball didn't, that football has. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think when we use the word pastime, right, that's the perfect way to describe baseball. Right. You go to a baseball game and you spend three hours and you can have a conversation with your dad or your son and eat a hot dog and drink a beer. Um it's it's a pastime, but football has become more of a sporting religion of sorts. Uh, you know, in, in, in that Will Smith movie, Concussion, uh, this was based on a book by Team Marie Laskus, who, who I quoted in, in, in extensively in, in my book. Uh, there's, there's this part where they talk about football, and they say football owns a day of the week. The day of the week that the church used to own, now it's owned by the NFL. And I think there's so much truth in that. Uh, whether it's Friday Night Lights where an entire small town drives 30 miles down the road to battle the other small town or whether it's Saturday morning tailgates on college campuses or whether it's like wall-to-wall NFL on Sunday, you can't think of NFL, you can't think of football as a pastime because it's just so much more than that. It means so much more to American culture. Yeah, so let's fast forward now specifically to Zach's family in Iowa, big football town, uh, Drake University. I think that's where he graduated from. That's where my ex-husband graduated from. So I know the town well, hey. Des Moines. Yeah. Um, from my but, wife graduated from, by the way. So a lot oh, of really? There. Okay. So, um, yeah. All right. So we're to his family, the Easter family, and you go into the history of their family and what football meant to them. Um, and you can sort of see, I, I mean, I was taken aback by Zach at age, what, in third grade was playing football? Was wanted to play yeah, or was played. encouraged to play or both? I mean, it was, he was encouraged to play absolutely by his father. His father, you know, loved football. It was one of his, you know, biggest loves in life. Uh, he played college football. He coached for the small college in town. He became the defensive coordinator for, for all three of his sons when they played in high school. Um, but it wasn't like, it wasn't this enormous pressure. If you were an Easter boy, it was almost like assumed. Uh, you play football, you go hunting. This is part of what turns you into a man. And Zach, from the start, just fell in love with this sport. His, he was the, the middle boy of three. His older brother was bigger and faster and, frankly, a better football player uh, than Zach was. Uh, went on to play college football. But Zach, even though he was smaller, uh, he had this mentality that was, they they refer to it as the Easter mentality in this small town. And it's like, uh, you know, rub dirt in it and take a lap, three yards in a cloud of dust. Like every old school football cliche that you can come up with, that was Zach Easter. He was, he, he very much put his body on the line. And even though we look at that now and we cringe, right? We cringe at the idea that his mentality led to all these concussions over his, uh, you know, not even a decade playing football as a youth. That was also, that mentality was why coaches loved him. It was why he was such a valued football player. In football, you want that. You want to, you know, have the player that sacrifices themselves. And that's the conundrum that I think coaches and parents are in right now. You still want that mentality, but you just don't want them to use their head and, and it's really hard to take that completely out of the sport. I would say almost impossible to take that completely out of the sport. 
Yeah, and Zach started taking, I guess, initially steroids, as you said, his older brother was bigger and stronger, and he was he was smaller, and suddenly he really, his body changed as he took these steroids. That was in high school? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was uh, toward the end of high school. He was he was a guy who was somewhat obsessed with, with that masculine image, uh, being the jock, being the tough guy, being the football player. He wasn't... He wasn't a jerk. Everyone loved Zach. He was the jock who was friends with everyone. But he very much felt that he had to live up to this version of manhood. And I think some people read this book and will will blame his father. And I actually don't at all. Uh, I think this was what his dad knew. This is a family. Zach was a seventh generation Iowan, all on basically the same plot of land that the family had, uh, had, had found, had you know, put their flag down on uh, just before the Civil War. Uh, this this version of manhood was the Easter family, and Zach's father. You know, he was a he was a banker. He wasn't out uh, working the land, and football was very much a version of, of of how he became the man that he became. So he preached this to Zach, and Zach bought into it. All three of the boys bought into it. Uh, it's just that when you look back at it, you just you do kind of cringe. Uh, you know, thinking, hey, there were all these moments uh, where they could have protected their son. But at the time, you know, this was in the, the early 2000s, CTE and the, the dangers of concussions, they really just weren't spoken about. Uh, it wasn't something that science was focused on. It wasn't something that the media was focused on. And it certainly wasn't something that uh, football coaches or players were focused on. Well, didn't you mention that the NFL did not want to focus on the research that was being done on CTE? Well, I mean, as you, I think as we said in the beginning, football is billions of dollars worth of revenue. I mean, it's a, a big revenue source, right? So that was an issue. Oh, it's huge. That is, yeah, it, I'm going to say a side issue, not really a same, side issue. Yeah, it's, you know, this is, a, this is essentially a Fortune 500 company, uh, the NFL is. Uh, this is... Uh, and you see so many cities around America where their basic infrastructure is built around football stadiums. It's like the biggest and most uh, glorified building in, in in the biggest of American cities, many of them. I live in Minneapolis, and we built a big, beautiful new stadium uh, that's right next to the uh, right next to the highway. And uh, you know it sort of dominates one side of the skyline. but uh, but yeah, it is uh, when you look at how important, this sport was to Zach, uh, how important it was to his family and how important it is just to that American infrastructure. Uh, it's, I mean, it's absolutely like an essential identity of, you know, vast swaths of America. Well, given the information we have now, and I know that in Zach, as you say, he, he really wrote a, not a dissertation, but uh, so much about what he wanted. He, he knew that he was going to c- commit suicide and what he wanted to happen afterwards, which I, which I assuming has continued to happen, that he wanted to yeah. create a foundation um, to improve the technology in, in football so that people didn't get hurt. So that how, what happened to him didn't happen to him um, and wanted to shed a light on all of the, I guess, the football industry. Um, so his girlfriend and his mother have done this, isn't correct? Yes, yes, absolutely. First of all, going back to your last question, I kind of went off in a, in a different direction. The NFL in the early 2000s was very much in this age of denialism, uh, I'd call it. 
Uh, yep. They have since righted their way, but they had you know doctors who were in charge of the spine and neck committee who were rheumatologists who had like literally had zero uh, specialty, zero expertise in this field. Uh, it was a joke. They wanted this problem to go away. The commissioner, in the very first time he was asked about this, and this was going back some 30 years, he said, frankly, I think this is a pack journalism issue. NFL has changed. It has very much changed. Uh, they they realize this is an existential problem for the sport, and they've done at least an adequate job of flagging those big hits, penalizing players, kicking them out of games, taking the head out of the game as much as possible. Uh, since Zach's death, uh, his, uh, as you brought up, his girlfriend and his family and some family friends have gotten together and formed a foundation. It's called CTE Hope Foundation. And one of the parts of the foundation is spreading Zach's story uh, as a cautionary tale. They don't want to eliminate football. That's not this family's goal at all. They just want parents to be, uh, you know, go in eyes wide open about the risks of this sport and be safer about it. And they've also funded some very serious scientific studies, including this one fascinating study that it's not going to be like next year that this will be possible, but this is the one that Brenda Easter, his mom, is most excited about. It's a saliva study that instead of the guesswork that the trainers and doctors have to do in the sidelines saying, hey, is this guy concussed or is he not, you know, spit in a cup, uh, test that saliva for enzymes and proteins that could indicate that a, that a concussion was just suffered, and then be able to tell within minutes, hey, you can't go into the game because you definitely just had a concussion. That would be a game changer, uh, especially for youth football. But I guess what I'm in, and given all that, um, we're still back sort of the, into the context of where football fits into our culture. Like that whole manhood thing. Mm-hmm. Like you said it, I think you just kind of mentioned it in passing. Can you still, you know, feel that is this the big masculine sport or is this the way, only way, or is this the way to express your masculinity or is it not, you're not going to be able to do that when you have all of these, you know, restrictions on how you can play? Um it sort of it changes the it's a game changer. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, Zach's father is a really interesting character in this book, and when he talks about football now, uh, he look he he mourns his son's death. He feels so much guilt about it. The only thing that like uh, lets him be able to assuage that guilt is that he says, you know, we didn't know in the early two thousand, we didn't know. He can kind of plead ignorance just as all of us uh, can during that time. But when he looks at football now, uh, he, he doesn't, he's still a fan, but part of him wishes the sport were like it was when he was growing up. And by that, I mean, it was, that it was tough, that it was the sport that he used to know. Uh, football has become, you know, in his words, it's become like a track meet, even though that is safer for people like his son who blame football, at least in part for his, his tragic demise. Zach's dad's, still mourns that the sport isn't that man-creating sport that it used to be. Now, is that completely true? No. Like, football is, it is still, I think, the toughest of sports. You still have to face your greatest fears head-on when you go on that field. You talk to college players, NFL players, they will say, every time I go in the field, I know it could be my last play. I mean, it's, maybe it's demented that, that I'm still a football fan, despite Right, you know, writing this book and knowing all the danger of the sport, but I am. And on Sundays, I'll in the fall, I'll go watch football, and it's almost every weekend 
where you see a player get carted off the field with a devastating injury that ends their season immediately. And what, what are they doing when they're on the cart being carted off the field? Are they crying? Are they you know, generally they're not they're, 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 they're putting their fists up in the air. They're saying, I am tough. They're holding back the tears. They're encouraging their teammates fight on without me. It's so militaristic. Um, is it toxic masculinity? Yeah, there's, there's plenty of that in it. But is there something traditionally masculine that I think is valuable in, in this, this high-minded idea of fight through your pain, try to accomplish a greater goal? I think there is. And when we focus so much on the negatives of football, I think it can be easy to miss that a lot of you know, millions of American boys over the, you know, over the decades have used the sport to help turn them into productive uh, young men. Well, maybe a part of that could be because Zach, uh, as you write about him, one of the, I thought, as a mother of three boys and three grandsons, uh, feeling very sad that he had to lie about to the doctors yeah. and, and to his coaches when he did feel sick, when he did feel so terrible and felt that he, he couldn't tell the truth. It maybe put some, you know, that may have been a masculine thing to do to be able to admit whatever it was that was bothering him and sort of made have mitigated some of this. I don't know, but I found that very, very painful. I mean, he, he just, yeah. he was, yeah. If, it, if there was one thing that, that if I could go back in time 15 or 20 years uh, and change something about the culture, it's, it's as simple as talk about it, you know, be honest. Uh, I think that sort of stoicism needs to go away, whether it's, you know, you know with, whether it's on a football field or whether it's just like a man has to be a man, you know, keep his head down and, and bear through the pain. Well, you know what? Like talking about things, going to therapy, talking to your coaches, talking to doctors, that can be an important way of, know, not just getting in touch with your feelings, but like being a more productive member of the society, being a better member of the team by being fully healthy. And I think that is something that is slowly creeping into football culture. And let's be honest, if we're talking about football culture, this is often kind of like a red state versus blue state mentality, um, rural versus urban. Uh, I, I think coast, that's I true. Think and see. we only have a couple yeah. minutes left, but, and so I just oh, want to yeah. add, because I grew up in the Northeast and went to Boston University mm-hmm. and hockey. We were the number one uh, college hockey team. And I never got into that, you know, going to football games, but that same feeling that you're describing and watching these hockey players, which is an extremely dangerous sport and nasty. Oh, yeah. And I could get into that adrenaline rush, and I, I can, I think that that connects me to this more than anything. That's all, you know, because that also is another one of those sports where you can wind up seriously hurt, obviously. But um, yeah, it's a great, but it's a really good book. I just, uh, I, you know, a minute left. So tell us, read where we can we can buy the book online, bookstores everywhere. I downloaded hey. the book. Yeah. You can get it everywhere. You can even get someone, a wonderful voice actor, to read it to you on an audio book. Um, I would encourage people, if you're interested in this book, buy it from your local independent bookstore. Uh, go to bookshop.org, which can connect you online with your local independent bookstore. If there's, if there's one thing I'd want people to know about this book, is this book sad? Yeah, it's tragic. Uh, and it's obviously about an important issue. But I don't think it's this one never-ending you know, death spiral. I, I hope that when people read this book, 
They feel deeply connected to humanity and deeply connected to a character in Zach who, yes, he died too young and he died tragically, but he has an important message that he wants to share. And he was a lively, beautiful young man. And uh, I, I hope that human connection is really what people take away from this book on top of the, the cautionary tale uh, that his tragic death symbolizes. Yeah. Great. That is well said. And also, I, I just have to add, uh, you should be the one to to read the book. You've got the voice for that. You'd be the one to do <laughs> And I'm I serious. I would never say that um, if I didn't said, mean no, it. But, let's, yeah. let's get a professional. Let's get a professional. <laughs> well, you sound like one. Anyway, read for Gray. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Great. Thanks for having me, Catherine. I appreciate yep. it. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 